hello and welcome to episode number 45 of For Fit's Sake, the podcast brought to you by FFS Gyms. This week, myself and Aoife, hello Aoife, are joined by Joe O'Brien. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Joe, uh, in from Spectrum Mental Health, was in this morning giving us a talk um, about mental awareness, particularly with regard to uh, eating disorders and uh, how that can affect training. I think the term you used, Joe, throughout the the talk that I found very interesting was the health psychology connection. Would that be a good good place to start as to why you're here? Yeah, so my background is in health psychology. Health psychology is the link between physical and mental health. Obviously, our mental health can impact our physical health. And similarly, our physical health can impact our mental health. So um, the kind of behavior change and nutrition and, and exercise and all that sort of stuff very much falls within my, my realm of, of my, my background. Yeah. And you're obviously you were talking just before we came on air about how you sort of enjoy coming out to gyms and speaking to people around the ground, I suppose, dealing, dealing with clients in this space. Um, is that something you're enjoying? Absolutely. I think uh, from my perspective anyway, I think it should be done a lot more. I think uh, taking a holistic approach, looking at not only the physical side of things, but also the mental side of things is really, really important going forward in terms of what every profession does, not even just the kind of health and fitness space, but um, in terms of like GPs as well, um, all kind of uh, medical professions. I think there is a psychological aspect to all aspects of, of physical health. So love coming out to the gyms, love talking about behavior change, specifically around um, exercise and nutrition. And, and that's kind of, yeah, my field, really enjoy it. Yeah, and, and just Aoife, we haven't really probably given, we're cycling through people in the podcast celebrating knots here while Rudds is away. Dara, was Dara got the boot after his episode last week? We're not ringing Rudds anymore because he's in airports and can't answer the phone properly. He's just after landed in Japan, so I don't I don't want to distract him while he's stuffing his face with sushi. But, uh, so you, I was third, thir- third, fourth? There was a few other people unavailable, right. but you're here, you're here now and we're having a great time. So this is your second appearance on the podcast? Uh, yes, we were. I was on with Laura in I think it was May time. Yes, um, yeah, talking about pre and postnatal training. Yeah. So quite different to this, but also connected. If you think it all connects, anyway. Yeah, connected in a sense that a big part of our prenatal and postnatal group is that that connection of people who've had who might be coming from a place of having a certain body image, having you know training for a certain period of time, to all of a sudden your body's changing drastically. So I think it's very appropriate to have you on talking about this today because it's something that you have to deal with with your your prenatal groups, particularly when you know, they're going through huge physical, mental and emotional changes. Absolutely. And for a lot of them, the first 12 weeks, potentially maybe more, where they want to eat nothing but bread and pizza. <laughs> and they're coming from a place where they've been really fit, they've been used to eating really good food, they're conscious of eating all these vegetables, and then they go to a point where their body can't even stomach looking at a courgette or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, definitely relative. Yeah, I think we've got a good crew for this. Um, so Joe, just to kind of like dig into the the background out a bit more before we get into the practical application, because anyone listening to this, I think it's going to be really beneficial for everybody. Everybody who, who trains, everybody who has a mindset or an approach to what they're putting in their body. It mightn't be dieting, but they're aware of what they're putting in their body. They're, they have a good or a positive association with food. But also if there's personal trainers or other coaches listening to this, they're going to take a lot from how they can practically work with their clients. So I think it's it's going to hit a really broad spectrum of people. I think it'll be very useful. But just to dig into the, before the practical stuff, what's your experience with with sort of areas like dieting, habits? Um, what, what are your thoughts on those areas as the background? Um, I come from a background like I said of health psychology in terms of of making behavior change um, in terms of managing your mental health from my perspective it's all about flexibility we know that making long-term behavior change is about being flexible first of all and having good support within that they're two pretty good predictors of of how well you're going to change behavior but I think it's also a really really complex area that 
not a lot of people appreciate. I, th- I know we talked about it, or I talked about it a while ago, but even in terms of some of the myths that come around around habits and how you form a habit and, and things like that come across very easily on, on things like social media. It's like, you know, you replace your behavior with a new behavior and you continue to reward yourself and over time you'll have a habit and it, it's not quite as straightforward as that in terms of, of behavior change. What are the big factors that are different then? Like, so do some people form habits quicker than others? Like, It's really dependent on the habit itself, first of all. Um, obviously like tying your shoelaces in the morning is is a habit that everyone has got into and everyone just does automatically barely without thinking or like having a shower or washing your teeth they're all things that are really really easy to engage in because we do them all the time and they're necessary but things like making wholesale lifestyle changes like exercise and and diet can be a lot more difficult because a lot more factors come into play there okay and then you're talking about like what works so you're talking about support and flexibility when you say flexibility are you talking flexibility in terms of the flexible uh, flexible dieting style if it fits your macros or are you talking about a different type of flexibility yeah so if it fits your macros um it is flexible in a sense but again it's within the scope of kind of the rules of that approach and i'm not saying any one approach is right or wrong but it really depends on the individual what i'm talking about in terms of flexibility is the way we view dieting the way we view nutrition the way we view exercise cognitive flexibility is different it's around removing those black and white food rules i guess or or exercise rules and being open to um i guess being open to change in, in in different manners so it might be removing the i have to and i should and i can't all that kind of very black and white concrete language around behavior change and around nutrition and exercise um, it can also be uh, just like giving yourself a break in terms of self-compassion. It can be um, just being really relaxed when it comes to how much you feel like you need to do or how much you, you don't need to do. It's, it's very much being very flexible in, in kind of all approaches and not taking a black and white stance on one particular issue, if that makes sense. And is, that's probably very particular to, like we, we preconditioned to right wrong if you go all the way back to that so like good food bad food is something we spend a lot of time trying to educate our members on there's no such thing as good food or bad food it's the choices and it's what your body requires i think dara's doing a talk this sunday on good food versus bad foods for our members Um, like that's been a big thing for us in terms of changing people's opinion on oh like if i eat a takeaway or a burger or pizza or whatever it is that there's the negative association and the guilt that comes with that yeah now there's common sense comes into a point that too much of that type of food is not going to put you on track with your goals and you have to be realistic but yeah. uh, like do you have you have any techniques or ways for people to reframe those i shouldn't i can't what's the best strategy yeah, for that so so um in terms of that like you said being flexible is not i'm allowed to eat everything all the time it's being flexible is that if you eat your takeaway or your chocolate or whatever it is that you're okay with that and you're in a position that that doesn't create like you said that guilt and that shame we know from the disordered eating research that people who have eating disorders are more, more prone to shame they're more prone to, to guilt and to put that kind of weight on on themselves in terms of that emotional weight so techniques i think a starting point is just to recognize when you're being um inflexible or when you have those concrete rules so even creating a diary around saying 
how many times do I, did I tell myself I can't have this or I can't have that? How many times did I say I have to stay in because if I go out, I'm going to go overboard or if I go to a social occasion that I'm going to go outside of my nutrition plan or I'm going to go, I'm not going to be able to do my exercise plan. It's about being flexible in those kind of circumstances rather than just saying, oh, I'm going to eat everything in front of me. The first step is definitely recognizing if you have those um, black and white thoughts and those black and white feelings around food and nutrition. I think it's massively, massively prominent in the society that we live in today and especially from what I see on social media because I run my own page called Head First. Um, plug, free plug. Plug, free plug, yeah. uh, at Head First Zero on Instagram. Um, but what I see an awful lot is people following a specific diet pattern or nutrition plan and that nutrition plan includes lots of food rules. And what we do when we include those food rules is we make things black or white. For example, intermittent fasting, I can't eat for 16 hours and I have to eat within eight hours. Um, things like um, keto, for example, I can't eat more than 40 grams of carbohydrates. These things, for people who struggle with the mental health side of things, can exacerbate those um, mental health issues or create distress for that person. I think it's probably important to mention at this point as well that it's that's just for some people, I suppose. Yeah. Like, some people those rules and those boundaries are probably, you know, th that's, that could be their style. They could be accountants to all the accountants that are listening. They're you know, very, very stringent. There's very, you know, rules, regulations that, that suits their mindset, that yeah. suits their style. And I, I think, I think it's actually the majority of people who, who won't have the kind of emotional distress or any of the significant uh, distress associated with, with those things. Myself, I've, I've used things like my fitness pal, which is very stringent and very black and white on what, uh, success and failure is in terms of you know you hit your certain calories for a day and I, I got success from that myself however that is very much my own experience and everyone's experience is different so I think if you're struggling with the kind of psychological aspects and that you do associate or have a moral value related to food or exercise then that might be a sign that that being strict and having those food rules is not helpful for you so yeah like you said it's not everybody we're talking about probably the minority but at the same time, um, I think it's important that, I guess, recognizing those factors, if you are in that, in that smaller percentage, that this can impact a lot of people. And not only can it impact a lot of people, but if you engage with it over a long time, it might predict disordered eating in the future as well. I think that's what we were talking about before when you said about something being subclinical, that we think sometimes we think, of food, oh, I don't have an eating disorder. You know, I just, I need to follow my diet. I can't do it. I just need to get back on that diet. That it's not about having an eating disorder and not. You can have those little areas that we can work on in the same way someone might work on their flexibility in their body or their mobility or yeah. they're working on their lower body strength. That we can just work on those, as you said earlier, your mental skills yeah. to help you with those kind of so, things. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to talk to someone or I'm going to go get some help or I'm going to do a little bit of research because I have a disorder. Yeah, yeah. It's more... I think, yeah, I think what subclinical means for, for those who, who don't, might not understand that term, is that you don't meet the criteria for a mental health disorder. So if you have a subclinical eating disorder, let's say, subclinical means you're not at the stage when it is clinically diagnosable. So you don't have disorder, but you can still display disordered eating patterns. And I'm sure lots of people, including myself, display disordered eating patterns, especially people who might, you know, specifically target weight loss or, or exercise or nutrition and, and who probably tune into this podcast. A lot of people in, in this field would have disordered eating patterns, but may not have an eating disorder per se. Um, and I think that for those people, yeah, 
just because I think a really important thing is you don't have to go to a mental health professional or seek help from a mental side of or seek help from the mental side of things you don't have to have a mental health disorder to actually just sometimes it's about bettering yourself yeah. sometimes it's just about self-improvement so if you go to a psychologist to improve for example your binge eating but you don't have binge eating disorder um, you can still make massive progress and it's just about self-improvement in that in that instance I think I think as well for support you touched on support before like support doesn't have to be from your coach your personal trainer your mental skills coach or psychologist support comes from the group of people they put around you and the environment you create so like I'm sure everybody who's listening to this either themselves like you're talking about um, displaying p- patterns of eating disorder like I would binge eat not regularly but there's occasions when I do like it's I'm tired of had a long week it's a Saturday there's rugby on all weekend like World Cup's coming up they're going to be cooking big breakfasts <laughs> yeah. for the lads and I, you know I'm going to eat myself silly on the couch and yeah. that, it's you know it's because it's I'm in that social environment it's very macho there's loads of guys over there's you know there's, there's extra food no one wants it to go to waste that's, yeah. that's the environment I've created by hosting this type yeah. of breakfast yeah. so I think support is it can come from your friends but also the support you create for yourself by the environment that you create Um, and I think that that's for I know from groups of people in the gym that we train a lot of people get together they they don't necessarily have to have things like WhatsApp and Facebook groups but they know that they're there to support each other and that their behaviours kind of create sort of a, a mini environment within a certain group of people i think that's that's a huge way of supporting people it doesn't have to be professional yeah you, know, you can be a great support structure to your friends or your family as well 100 percent. yeah i agree with that um if in terms of support you want to come over for the breakfast though that's what you're thinking that's all you're getting out of that <laughs> yeah where's my invite why am i in the you play for lansdowne so i don't think it's gonna happen um just on that in terms of getting professional support i think what you're talking about there is that a lot of people will have what is termed disordered eating patterns like they will binge eat at the weekend i think when it's important to get support is that like when i talk about support i mean get professional support it's important to note that if you're experiencing significant distress so feeling very down about your eating patterns or your nutrition um, if you're avoiding social occasions for example if you're avoiding the big breakfast um because you're worried about your eating behaviors um, that can also be a, a kind of a red flag that it might be worth getting support um, if you have a moral value around food or your body image like if you get all of your, your value and you feel down over um, for example not looking a certain way or if you get all your value and you only feel good when you're on a specific nutrition plan or a specific diet um, and going outside of that is like a loss of control when you feel bad about yourself so if your level of distress is quite high in that that's when it might be kind of important to get um, professional support rather than just being with your mates I think I think all that ties in quite well to um, something again I heard you say before which is with a lot of these things with mental health in general we know we know a lot more that it exists now and that it's pretty prevalent but we don't necessarily understand what it is so we can know something's there like oh yeah that's there but it's not present in any of my friends or it's not there so it's about just understanding a little bit more about what can be going on and helping maybe recognize things in friends or as you said recognize things in ourselves and maybe things like our self-talk that we're thinking oh that's good that's bad i have to do this i have to do that and tuning in a little bit more to what we're saying to ourselves 
yeah. in relation to food, I think can be really helpful. 100%. I think the, the main things to, to take from that in terms of recognizing it within your friend group and things maybe that you might not have thought of before, like I said, number one is your level of distress, but the other is your level of functioning. So if you're struggling around work or if you're struggling to just manage your day-to-day tasks, your level of functioning is a, a decent predictor of, of how much you're struggling. So if you can't maybe hold down a relationship um, because of in this context, I guess, eating and, and, and that kind of thing. But in a broader context, if you can't um, interact appropriately in your social relationships or romantic relationships, if it's impacting your work day to day, if it's impacting you with your kids or, or whatever you do day to day, whether it's school or college, um, they're kind of the, the red flags, I guess, if, if you do need professional support. Which is There's two things in that that I think are very interesting because they give people a snapshot into like we're trying to make this as practical and relatable and people if i think you said like this is this stuff is hard to see if it was training we'd know okay i can't lift as much as i should be lifting there's a problem there's a functional issue here somewhere whereas it's very difficult when it's it's psychological we can't we can't touch and feel it so they're talking about distress so an example would be the the breakfast so if the lads over with the big breakfast is it level of distress for me if say everyone goes for a lunch afterwards we're all hanging out all day together i'm gonna skip the lunch because I know I've binged that morning. Is, is that a bit of a flag yeah, in terms of potenti- distress? Potentially, yeah. Like, like I said, it's different for everyone. You might want to avoid that for no reason, <laughs> for, for other reasons, let's say. Uh, let's say you spent too much time for the lads and you, you avoid Let's say we're still getting on well. We're, yeah. still, we're still enjoying <laughs> okay, each other's company. If you're still getting on well, um, if you're experiencing emotional distress from the binge and you, you think to yourself, well, wow, I feel really bad about the amount of food that I've just eaten. I'm not going to hang out with the lads and go for lunch because of that. That would be a sign that maybe your relationship with food or your relationship with yourself is is maybe that you're struggling in that area. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying you definitely have an eating disorder if you don't go out and, and do that. Or um, like if you do, even if you do go out and you feel the need to massively restrict around that area, I'm not saying that necessarily means you have a disorder by any means, but it just might be something to, to be considerate of. Yeah, it's just exhibiting behaviors to be aware of. We're not saying that. Yeah, 100%. Like, because a good example again is you go up for a dinner with the guys or the girls, and you know, you're going for a few pints afterwards or something, you might eat slightly less. You might make better food choices at dinner so you can enjoy the pints a little bit more. That, you know, I don't see that as a particularly unhealthy relationship yeah. with food. I see that as awareness of. Yeah what I'm putting in my body and whether it whether it's in line with my long-term goals or not. And yeah, so if, if you combine that decision with your level of distress, your level of distress is obviously zero because you're happy with your choice. Yeah, okay. Whereas if your level of distress is significant around you avoiding that, that might be a, a predictor. Okay, good. And then the functioning element. So I think you touched on like say relationships or would that be a case of I don't want to, to go on a date because it's in a restaurant that doesn't you know fit my goals or is that the kind of level we're talking about yeah it might be i don't want to hang out with my significant other because i want to go to the gym instead you know it it can be all of these different things that create um that create are you married because you know i'm pretty sure my wife just goes to the gym to get away from me (laughs) (laughs) if it works out for her yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely i i think it, it it can be those things yeah it can be the avoidance around around social occasions or, or, or whatever it is around if it's related to food and exercise um, it might be just a, a red flag in terms of you know it, it's preventing you going going about your day-to-day business and do you think what, what role do you think that sleep plays in that then i know from speaking to rods um he's obviously doing a lot of learning at the minute in terms of the practical application for performance and sleep and how important it is for the guys with the rugby yeah. but um there, I'm starting to see this trend now like everybody you don't have a fitness tracker on but I'm looking Aoife's got her, her whoop band on yeah. you know guys are looking at these things the level of distress that I find sleep is causing at the minute so I've got the sleep coach on this thing it tells me 
I can set three levels of performance that I want for the next day. So one is to get by. So there's there's one day a week where I know I'm I'm in college later, whatever it is, I'm not going to get eight hours of sleep. So I just, I set that Tuesday is going to be a get by day. So that gives me, I need six hours of sleep, whatever it is. But then I've got, I really want to perform on like a Thursday, a Friday, a Saturday. I want to get sleep. If I look at it and I'm in bed and it's like, you should have been asleep. It's it's that black or white you're talking about. Yeah. It's red. I should have been asleep 20 minutes ago. I, I might take me half an hour longer to get to sleep because I'm stressed yeah because you're anxious about it yeah. yeah yeah of course yeah sleep is, is a really interesting one it really falls into where my area of health psychology um, lies i guess um in terms of what it does for your mental health sleep is correlated with every single um disorder every single mental health disorder whether it's a predictor or a symptom um, sleep has a massive impact on that now in terms of the nutrition and exercise stuff it's really interesting there's one particular study that um studies the amount of sleep uh, time in related to in relation to fat loss and they found that those who slept five and a half hours or less um, lost 70% of their weight when calories were controlled compared to the more sleep group. They found that 70% of their weight loss was from muscle mass rather than, than um, fat, which is really interesting. It's, I guess the theory is that your body kind of protects itself, that it thinks it's kind of um, struggling because it has lack of sleep and it holds on to that weight maybe. Um, I'm not really sure that's a, a theory. But there is certainly aspects of, of sleep that, that massively impact the nutrition and exercise side of things. And I know I talked about this earlier. There are specific times when we're liable to, for example, binge eat or go outside of our healthy exercise and, and nutrition patterns. Um, and that is the HALT um, analogy, which is uh, hunger, anger, lonely and tired. And when you're tired, you're more likely to engage in those behaviors that, you know, people ask me all the time, why do I binge at night? Well, if you're alone and you're tired, you're more likely to engage in those behaviors. It's and really someone's angered you throughout the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Rory, you mentioned points and Joe, you mentioned sleep. Can you yeah. tell us about hangovers and food choices and how we might be able to understand more what we do and don't do in those Sounds times? Like there's an experience story. <laughs> <laughs> lots of experience, lots of personal experience, but actually uh, alcohol hangover was the uh, thesis that I wrote for my master's. We in, didn't know that, by the way. So this is in, in health case. psychology. So, um, yeah, basically, long story short, alcohol inhibits our ability to, to make rational choices. So you're more likely to engage in your default go-to behavior if you're tired, if you're sleepy, if you're drunk, or if you're hungover. Um, after a hangover, obviously, um, alcohol impacts your sleep as well. So what it does is it prevents um, or blocks REM sleep. So that's your rapid eye movement sleep. Um, which is really really vital for mental health if you're without REM sleep for a long time you might experience psychosis symptoms so really important for your mental health um, so yeah alcohol massively inhibits your sleep if you're tired your food choices the next day are obviously going to be altered like I said if you're lonely or tired your food choices are more likely to revert to what your go-to is and what's easy and you're less likely to be able to just say well actually i'm going to cook up, cook up a really good breakfast with lots of micronutrients and you're more likely to say well delivery was on my phone and i don't want to move so yeah a huge correlation between alcohol sleep and and our decision making i think it comes back to the relationships like it all comes back to your relationship with food your relationship with exercise and your relationship with sleep i think that sleep something that's new that's coming in people are like they're far more aware of it so there's more room for a good or a bad relationship to develop because yeah. people are thinking about it more so like what what's the the simplest bit of advice to people who want to improve their relationships with these three key factors that are crucially important to physical performance but also psychological or, and, and mental health yeah. like what's the best way to approach improving those relationships in in a broad in a broad sense so you're talking about sleep 
Sleep, your relationship with food, your relationship with sleep, and your relationship with exercise. Okay. Um, I think from a mental health perspective, like I said, I want to address kind of the people who struggle with the psychology side of it and the mental skills. I think number one for me, um, my bit of number one advice would be to remove the food rules, to remove the black or white thinking around uh, nutrition and around exercise. Um, what that does is that it essentially removes what can trigger a dieting cycle, which is your negative feelings about yourself, your emotional reaction to, or your distress around going outside of those rules. So if you think about the diet cycle, what happens is we want to make a change. Sometimes that change is triggered by feeling bad about ourselves. Let's say we went over, let's take New Year's resolutions as a, as a good example. We go overboard at Christmas. We all feel, wow, I'm really bloated. I'm way more than I used to. I don't feel as good about myself. So we go into dieting, which generally is restriction, um, and we create these food rules about what's good and what's allowed and what's bad and what's not allowed. And what that does is when we go outside of those rules, we feel bad, oh, I broke my diet or, or I went outside of my plan. And that makes us feel bad about ourselves to the point where, oh, well, what do we do when we feel bad about ourselves? We then go and restrict further. And it, it, is, it does get us into a bit of a cycle. So removing those food rules can potentially reduce that distress for some people. And that's part of the flexibility side of things. It's not flexible in terms of, oh, I have all these macros to work with. It's flexibility that there is no kind of good and bad foods and there's no kind of food rules. I think that'd be my number one for diet and kind of exercise as well. Um, in terms of sleep, um, I could talk, I could have a whole separate podcast about sleep. Um, the main thing I find is that if stress, stress is obviously a massive complaint from a lot of people in terms of um, working on their sleep. If stress is an impact, or if stress impacts your sleep or anxiety impacts your sleep, you need to tackle the root cause, which is tackling the stress itself. There's no amount of lavender or fresh pillows or fresh sheets that are going to uh, kind of tackle your, your stress levels. So that's number one. Um, if it means talking to a mental health professional, then so be it. If it doesn't um, and it's just managing your exercise or managing your stress load throughout the day, then that's something you can definitely do. Outside of that, blue light blocking glasses um, for blue light going to bed. There's a, oh, I'm going to say off the top of my head, a 35% increase in melatonin when we use 100% uh, blue light blockers four hours before bed. Okay. So melatonin is a thing that triggers sleep and it's important for initiating the sleep cycle. If you reduce your blue light and your screens and all that before bed, it's a, it's going to make a significant impact on your ability to actually get to sleep. I think we'll save full sleep podcast for next time, but that's a, that's a good way. <laughs> I'm going to get some of those glasses and I'll have them on me for a cheat day on Thursday evening yeah, glasses I, I, next week. I, I, I yeah, I'm looking at me. You're going to be working those glasses. You're not getting time off. Hey, I, I'm going to throw sort of the, the difficult question at you then. Okay. Is because there's definitely people listening to this that are like, not say skeptical but that rules are very important to them they think i need i want progress i want to get from point a to point b i need rules i need i need a framework to because let's let's be honest you can't just do whatever you want you yeah, can't you can't go correct. and a lot of people will listen to this unfortunately and they'll only hear the what you've talked about is the acceptance and it's fine to do all this but to have that flexibility in terms of your mental approach to it you've got to be doing the bulk of things in line with your goals yep so, you know so like what, what's the, what's the counter argument if someone's like, well, you need some kind of rules. So what I would say is that having no rules, and I'm not saying having, that sounds very bad. Having no rules me doesn't mean eat whatever you want all the time. What it means is that it's okay to sometimes eat the thing that's outside of your rules. 
and not to have emotional distress related to that because what that will do is then that will potentially for some people like you said at the start for some people that will potentially trigger some negative behaviors or some negative outcomes for that person in terms of emotional distress and, and functioning so having no rules is not eat whatever you want all the time and expect to hit your goals that's not it having flexibility and acceptance towards going outside of those rules is more likely to be beneficial for you in the long term if we look at the dieting research 80% of, of diets um, result in either going back to your starting weight or gaining more over one to five years. Um, so that 20%, uh, generally we know that we can increase that 20% if we look towards removing rules and, and gaining flexibility. So flexibility is one of the better predictors of how well someone um, engages in behavior change. Um, so when you argue, oh, I need f food rules, well, we know that food rules and inflexibility and dieting in general doesn't work 80% of the time. So my argument back to that would be, well, if you want to engage in that and give yourself the one in five chance, well, that's that's your choice. But what we know is that you can increase your chances by removing those rules. So the big thing sounds like then it's the acceptance that uh, like failure, like yeah. it, it's that it's that like talking black and white, I failed, I've gone over my calories, it goes red, that's a fail. So it's probably accepting that like f failure is okay. You're, go yeah. you're going to fail. You can't always succeed yeah, every yeah. day. And I don't even see it particularly as failure. I just see it as, as life, you know. We're never going to live the rest of our lives without having a takeaway forevermore. We're never going to live our entire life without having a whole galaxy share bar to ourselves. Do you know what I mean? We're, 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 we're <laughs> very, going very... Share it yeah. with myself. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. yeah. So, so we're, we're going to engage in these things and to think of them as failures and to feel bad about them isn't serving any any real purpose really you know I, it, and it's framing that in a sense that I, I like with exercise specific it's it's okay to fail but quitting is a different story yeah i think i think if, if you do go outside of your your rules or or whatever it's important to kind of reflect on it and see what what maybe you could have done differently and, and to actually learn from the experience because like you said it's 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 kind of only a failure if you don't actually learn something from it and you know what state of mind was i in can i prevent that state of mind in the future was i stressed because i ate this is there something i can do for that stress you know there's the host of different factors that predict how we eat i, I showed you guys the behavior change wheel if anyone wants to look that up it's called the behavior change wheel it's um it's a concept in health psychology that shows all of the different factors that go into predicting behavior and it's more than just like one thing it's more than just oh i was stressed so i ate this there's so many different things that shape how our um how our diet and our, our nutrition and our exercise works so i think it's important that it's it's only really a failure if you don't learn anything from it or if you don't kind of you know get anything from it if, it, if it's just emotionally distressing and you see it as a failure it's not really serving any purpose and then for, for other people if, if you either yourself feel like you are displaying with a lot of you know high levels of distress what's the best course of action in terms of resources where's the best place to get more information that you know like we said it's it's very difficult for people to to take the leap from recognizing that they might have an issue to yeah. going straight to seeking support from a, a psychologist or you know a, a mental expert like what's the sort of how do people find out a little bit more and dig into it at their own pace so if you are struggling with body image or if you're struggling with um what you feel might be disordered eating or a poor relationship with food or your body um, there's a fantastic Irish uh, resource called bodywise.ie. They are the National uh, Eating Disorder Association, essentially, essentially in Ireland. 
Um, they have fantastic online resources just to get some information, but they also have, they'll also kind of be able to point you in the right direction in terms of resources. Now, in Ireland as well, I don't know where you're, where, how far you broadcast or where your audience Worldwide. comes from. Okay, Vegas, so, we've got a lot of guys in Vegas. Okay, okay. I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know the mental health resources in Vegas specifically. I'd say there's very few. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, um, Outside of that, um, going to your GP as a gateway for accessing further services, it can be really important. Um, if you're looking to go private, I actually work for a company called Spectrum Mental Health. We do counseling and psychotherapy in Ireland. We have all accredited psychologists and psychotherapists. So if that's something you feel like is necessary for you, more than happy to shoot me a message um, on Instagram or you can get in touch um, on the mentalhealth.ie website, which is, our, uh, which is Spectrum Mental Health's website. Um, alternatively, finding any kind of chartered psychologist would be a, a good step as well. And then even just having those conversations, I suppose, with, you know, what would you recommend in terms of coming and speaking to like your coach, your friends? Is that a good, like, a, you know, everyone's talking more about communicating more at the, at the minute with each other. Is there a risk associated with that, with, with opening up to people? Like, you know, especially around, because eating disorders are, I think you said in the, in the talk earlier that there's the two types of disorder, addiction and eating disorders, are, they are two of the most serious. Is, is there any risk associated with the way people open up and the way they try to interact with each other? I think talking about mental health in general can only be beneficial for the person, but I don't think opening up to, for example, your coach expecting that to be resolved um, would be kind of... Uh, you know, I, I don't think opening up to, for example, your nutritionist or your PT or whatever... Um, as a method of trying to manage it is, is the best option. Of course, talking about it and being more comfortable speaking about it is definitely important in reducing stigma and just getting it off your chest can be really helpful. But in terms of treatment, um, that's obviously not an appropriate treat course of action for, for treatment. But definitely definitely speaking about it more is, is important. Yeah, I think it's been aware as well that it is the treatment that if we need treatment that someone like a personal trainer or someone like a coach, like we can be a support, a support yeah. structure. But treatment isn't ultimately going to come from us. It comes from the resource like you're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, if anything to add before we wrap up? Talk quickly, um, when you're talking about resources and talking to people and it all being a very individual um, obviously we're more and we're using social media more and more what's your thoughts on how that impacts or doesn't impact or what we can do positively with social media um, within the realms of nutrition and improving nutrition it's a really interesting one um, I do a little bit of research around social media and how it affects mental health I think one of the things that's come from the Instagram research specifically is that exposure to beauty and fitness um, images all the time can change our what we think is the ideal body so although we might be aware of those risks it still doesn't change the fact that we're exposed to it all the time the more we're exposed to it the more likely the more likely you are to change what you think is the ideal body um i think if you're someone who struggles with your body image that's surrounding yourself with uh, i don't know your celebrities and, and fitness bloggers might not be helpful for you in terms of um self-comparison i think doing a Instagram detox is a fantastic way of, of kind of seeing who adds value. And I always question people to reflect on, are the people you're following adding value to your life or making you a better person? So over the past, let's say three, six months, have the people that, you've been, have the people that you've been following added anything positive to your life? And if they have, then fantastic, then keep them. But if they haven't, then why are, what purpose are they serving, you know? And that can be particular to people who are struggling with their body image and, and eating and nutrition specifically. Also, in terms of who you do follow, 
following the people who have an evidence-based approach and who promote things in line with your values. Um, I know that um, there are some really, really fantastic resources. I know we talked about intuitive eating before we came on. Um, one person specifically jumps out to me, and that is um, Laura Thomas. For those struggling with um, eating disorders or even subclinical stuff, like if you don't have an eating disorder but you want to improve your relationship with food, she has a fantastic book called Just Eat It. And um, it's based Love on it. <laughs> it's based on the intuitive eating principles and is aimed at improving your relationship with your body and relation your relationship with, with food. So I think that's a fantastic resource. But yeah, the social media stuff is, is really interesting. I think surrounding yourself with people who are in line with what you value is really important. And if someone's selling like skinny teas or skinny coffees or, or like weight loss supplements and all that sort of stuff, if that's not in line with what you believe in and who you are as a person, then it, it doesn't really serve a purpose in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's so important because we spend, we go on social media in our downtime. And to then be made to feel not great in our downtime, we want to follow people that are going to yeah. inspire us genuinely and make us feel good and think, yeah, I could do that today or just have a good time in that downtime rather than bringing up negative things for yeah. us. Because some people see their self-care. I talked about this recently on my Instagram. People see self-care as you know relaxing, but if your self-care is you scrolling through your phone and eventually feeling bad about yourself then it's not really self-care is it so Absolutely. it has to serve the purpose that it's, it's benefiting you in some way i think i think that even comes out as well the time on social media it might necessarily be what you're seeing it could be you've scrolled and you've gone my god i've just wasted 15 minutes yeah. and i've got no value yeah. whereas if, if you say it was twitter and you were reading an article that was actually interesting or something it, it doesn't have to be educational but like if that's what happens to me I, I go on for a quick look and all of a sudden i'm like that's 15 minutes i could have been sending emails or freeing up time for later in the evening so it's it's what are you getting in that value that 10 15 minute slot yeah, yeah. Really yeah. And I, I watching think, a good ted talk yeah exactly yeah. i think a lot of it is around self-reflection and being able to realize when something is actually beneficial for you and when it's not and, and part of that is is being self-reflective and being self-aware so like you said you're actually aware that after 15 minutes you've you've not wasted your time but kind of wasted your time yeah but for, for a lot of people they will have scrolled through that and they won't even realize so so maybe just be more self-aware in that context well i'd like to think anyone who's listened to the last 37 minutes or so got an awful lot from that uh, joe thanks so much for coming in again we'll put the links to spectrum health on your instagram head first zero final plug and your own podcast as well uh the head first podcast yeah the head first podcast it should be on spotify and apple and all the, the usual ones I yeah think. we'll get a link up to that as well but look joe thanks so much for a coming in and speak to us as a group of coaches and trying to improve what we do here at the gym but also to all of our listeners i'm sure they got an awful lot from that thanks very much no problem it was my pleasure thank you joe well,